Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to 2 Peter one last time. 2 Peter chapter 3. We will be considering verses 14 through 18 this evening. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would shine the truth of it to our path and to our feet. Oh Lord, we thank you for the illuminating work of your spirit. That we may not just read scripture and have no understanding, but that we read the word and we know it is your word. And by your Spirit's work, we seek to follow it. We seek to know it more. We seek to know Jesus. We seek to know you, the ever-living God. And, O oh Lord, we pray that you would be with us this evening, that you would press these truths deep into our hearts and minds, that we would be a changed people as we leave this place. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, people of God, as we wrap up our series in 2 Peter here tonight, we can recognize the great blessings that God has given us in this letter. One of the overarching themes we've learned from is that of diligence in Christian life. Diligence that is grounded in knowledge leading to godliness. And that knowledge begins with God. Remember what Peter said in his opening salutation in chapter 1, Verses 2 through 4. He said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in what? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And by which we have been given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, Peter's words here really set the pace 
and the content of his epistle. Grace and peace is multiplied to us in our knowledge of God, in our knowledge of Christ, our Savior. For through his power, as his redeemed, the Father's gifts to us in Christ are fully sufficient for what we need today and tomorrow, truly what we need every day of our lives as we pursue living godly and holy lives. We have been given a holy calling, and we have been given precious promises that we may be partakers of eternal blessings in and with Christ. And so Peter goes on to call us to diligence in our growth and godliness, doesn't he? Diligence in making our calling and election sure. As he says in verses 10 through 11, For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, beloved, Peter begins by pointing us to God's supply of our entrance into Christ's everlasting kingdom. And it ends, and he ends, by pointing us to the coming of his day and the final consummation of his kingdom. With a whole chapter dedicated to knowledge and living in the midst of false teachers in the middle. So we see this in the beginning in chapter 1. We see this in the end in chapter 3. And smack dab in the middle, chapter 2. Wonderful teaching and training regarding false teaching and those who teach it. Now, some today try to deny the future return of Christ. Like the scoffers, they say it won't happen, or, on the other hand, stating that it's already occurred. However, however, both Peter and Paul affirm the future bodily return of Christ. Dispensationalists claim that Christ will have a double return, the secret rapture, so to speak, followed later by the second advent, However, the Bible only speaks of one return of Christ. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5. And as we see in those chapters, it's far from secret. And further, Peter clearly states that on that day, Christ will dismantle and destroy the old heavens and earth before he ushers in the new, where righteousness dwells and, and sin has no place. And so having our eyes focused forward affects our steps, step by step, in our walk today. Or let's put it this way. It ought to. Right? If it hasn't in your life, it ought to. The coming of the day of the Lord changes things for us now. We are to be ready to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And this present day living focus is what Peter speaks of as he concludes this letter. He returns to the call for diligence. Again, he began with the call for diligence. He ends with the call for diligence. And so let us consider what he says regarding our being found by Christ in peace in verse 14. The divine wisdom given to Paul in verses 15 and 16, as well as our need to know, beware, and grow in 17 and 18. Look there at verse 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Again, looking forward 
through this Christ-focused lens affects our diligence now. For as Peter says, we need to be found by Jesus to be in peace and blamelessness. Now, what does Peter mean by his exhortation to be found by Christ in peace? Is he speaking about inner peace and calmness? No. Peter is speaking about God's work of saving grace in the lives of sinners. All those who would find themselves joyful at Christ's return as they stand before his judgment seat must be found in a state of peace and reconciliation with God through Christ, in whom alone God is reconciling the world to himself. We are those who are truly happy and safe in Christ. As our sins are fully pardoned and have true and everlasting peace with God through Christ. For all who are found by Christ in a state of enmity with Him will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. But further, those who are at peace with God at Christ's return are also those who will be found to be spotless and blameless before Him. Here Peter encourages us by reassuring us of God's preserving and confirming work to the end. Peter is teaching us the same thing that Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, where Paul begins, if you recall back in our study in that epistle, Paul begins with his thankfulness, his thankfulness to God for his work in the saints. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift and no what else, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be, what, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christ's confirming and sanctifying work in us by His Spirit, he will complete it, and he will present us blameless at his return. Praise the Lord. And we see that Jude agrees with Paul. In Jude's benediction, we see in verse 24 that he says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to what? To present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Think more about Christ's presentation of you as faultless, beloved. Jesus will bring you and me before himself, his Father, and the host of heaven to stand clothed in his righteousness with great joy. How awesome is this? The work of God, and not only his justifying us, and not only his, his salvation of us, and not only his sanctifying us, and not only his glorifying us, but Here's this glorious presentation that he takes great joy in doing. Great joy in doing the very work and the work that he has accomplished in us. For Christ is at work in you now. He's at work in me now with all of his saints. And it's a patient work. But Peter goes on to encourage us to have a right view of God's work now in time here in these verses. Look at verse 15a. 
He says, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. If you recall back in the context that's led up to this passage, that's led up to this conclusion, Peter's been speaking about what some of the critics were saying about where is the Lord in his coming? Where is he coming? And we don't see this. Has it happened? Is it really ever going to happen? Time has passed. And so they were saying, ah, oh, the Lord is slack in his promises. He's not faithful. Yet Peter counters that and says, no, he's absolutely faithful. He's long-suffering and patient, desiring that none of his elect would perish. And so as Peter speaks of the long-suffering of our Lord being salvation, our thoughts should be drawn back to those verses where he said, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So again, another reminder that our Lord's patience ensures the salvation of all of his elect. None, not one of his elect will perish being outside of Christ before his throne. That won't happen. And Peter wasn't the only apostle who taught the saints this truth. And Peter goes on in verse 15b to point out their beloved brother and our beloved brother Paul. He says, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So see how Peter affirms two very important things here. First, he and the saints viewed Paul as a beloved brother to them. Paul was dearly loved, and he was a fellow apostle to Peter. And they had much respect and affection in Christ for Paul. But see also, secondly, the value and the importance and ultimately a claim of divine inspiration of Paul's writing to the church, which we also find more spoken of about in uh, verse 16 of which Paul taught them about this very matter. So Peter commends Paul's writings to them, and he even specifies it and points out specifically, I'm teaching you these things, I'm pointing you to these truths, I'm pointing you to these future realities and promises of God, I'm pointing you to what is true about Christ and what will be true at his return. I'm pointing you to be diligent here and now, but I'm not the only one Paul's done the same. And I commend his writings to you. You've benefited through the work of the Spirit in your hearts by his writings and ministry. And so Paul had an uncommon measure of wisdom given to him, and Peter points this out. Paul was a person of much knowledge in the mysteries of the gospel. And it is good and right that those who preach the same gospel should treat one another according to the pattern that Peter sets here, commending one another, supporting one another, encouraging the saints in the ministry of the other and in the benefit that they receive from the other. In fact, the knowledge and wisdom given to chosen men to preach the gospel is a gift from God. And the saints previously received Paul's words and they were blessed by them, but it wasn't an uncommon measure of human wisdom that Paul received. Peter says this as he goes on in verse 16. 
For he says that also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. And so Paul wrote many letters to the saints in Christ's church. And what did Paul speak to them about? Well, of primary importance was the gospel, right? Was the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wrote to them about the oracles and the mysteries of God that have been revealed. He wrote to them about Christian ethics, about godly Christian living. And Paul also gave instruction on the resurrection and the second coming of Christ, as Peter did here. And yet Peter recognizes that there are some things that are hard to understand in Paul's writing. Matthew Henry helpfully breaks these things into three categories. Among the variety of subjects he says treated of in Scripture, some are not easily easy to be understood because of their own obscurity, such as prophecy. Others cannot be so easily understood because of their excellency and their sublimity as the mysterious doctrine. And others are with difficulty taken in because of the weakness of men's minds, and such are the things of God. The Spirit of God. And so as Paul taught the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the things of the Spirit of God are what they're spiritually discerned. And because this is true, Peter says rightly that untaught and unstable people twist the Bible. And this isn't foreign to our own experience today. We see this many times, sadly, day in and day out. Not many days really pass, maybe not even a day passes, where we don't see this to be true in one form or another, with one person or another. Literally, the Greek words here for untaught and unstable, they refer to those who are unlearned and unsteady, who don't have, interestingly enough, who don't have a staff, to lean on. If you think back to biblical days, the staff served very important purposes. Right? A staff was a walking stick. A staff could be used to ward off wild animals. But a staff was also there for stability. When one would get tired or one would get weary, you could lean on that staff. It was a reliable uh, instrument by which one could lean on and depend on. Right? And so therefore, uh, it's interesting that Peter uses these words uh, to describe uh, what is true of somebody who just doesn't have a staff to lean on. And therefore, they can't be relied on because they're unsteady. That's kind of his message. That's his message. They can't be relied on because they're unsteady. And so if Peter knew this to be true in the early church, so it remains true today. Right? As we, we see these unsteady and, and unstable people, even those who, and especially those who don't recognize that they lack the knowledge and discernment and, and back off, or they're not trying to speak with authority on theology or biblical doctrine or preaching in the pulpit. They're, they're making wrong applications of Scripture to life. 
All the while, they are claiming to speak the truth of God. Plowing forward, full steam ahead. But what are they doing in the process? They are making unsteady, ignorant disciples. Because they themselves are unsteady. Because they themselves are unstable. And yet they truly don't have a staff to lean on. And it shows. Peter rightly says that they are twisting scripture to their own destruction. As they do with the rest of God's word. Notice what Peter says there. This is serious. They aren't leaning on and learning the words of life. They aren't proclaiming the words of life because they don't have a true understanding of that themselves. They are proclaiming what they understand and what they believe, which is twisted. And their twisted concoction leads them to death. Notice. And so we see things, we see two things regarding Peter's words here. First, we need to be very careful about how we look at and support theologians and preachers, really anyone who twists the scriptures even in one area recognizing that they're likely doing the same in other areas as well. And as we know and understand that biblical doctrine is tightly connected and one often builds on another, if they're getting some wrong, they're likely getting others wrong too. We need to be very Berean. We need to be very careful. We need to be very cautious about what we hear. And like the Bereans, going to the Scriptures to make sure that what they're saying is true or not. But secondly, Peter's statement here really commends Paul's writings to be inspired Scripture. As he connects Paul's writings with the rest of Scripture. If you notice that phrase. So as he makes that connection and says that here's the benefit of Paul's writings. Yes, some things are difficult. And yes, this is what some people who are unsteady do with the Scriptures and twisting them to their own destruction. With the rest of Scripture, they're doing the same thing. And so Paul's writings were considered, and even as we consider it today, uh, to be part of the right canon of Scripture, to be an inspired Scripture from the Lord. But therefore, because of these things, Peter says that we must know, beware, and grow. These three things, important action items. We must know, beware, and grow. Look at verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand. Now I'm telling you this ahead of time. Right? Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But see Peter's tender care here. Beloved, you now have the knowledge He's saying, you know the truth. Your eyes have been opened and more has been revealed to you to help you by the grace of God. And that knowledge then must lead to action. It must guide your actions. And there are two aspects of that godly, worthy walking that Peter points out here. As any Christian who grows in such knowledge recognizes the need to be watchful and sober... They need to do exactly that. They must beware, Peter says. Beware. The false teachers have the ropes ready. 
They've got the nooses ready. They've got the snares ready. They're ready to put them around your necks and drag you to the pit of hell in their errors and lies. And Peter recognized the saints were steady at the moment, in many ways. They were steadfast and secure. They were being faithful in their commitment to Christ. But pride comes before a fall. Not being watchful and sober. Being lazy. Having a stupefied sense about us comes before a fall. Where we become sluggish, maybe even gullible, to latch on and to buy in to what anybody may say. And so we need to be mindful of our weaknesses and the real dangers around us. That's really what he is saying in this beware exhortation. But secondly, as much as we have to be on guard, we also must be focused on growth. Again, here is diligence and action. Specifically, growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We aren't and we must not, beloved, be after esoteric knowledge. To some high, meaningless, fruitless knowledge. That's the knowledge that the false teachers are after. But rather, the knowledge that Peter speaks of is an ever-deepening knowledge and relationship with Jesus and understanding His truth and understanding His way and following His example in walking the path of Christ with diligence, with eyes wide open that are fueled by knowledge that are fueled by the divine knowledge that he has revealed to us in his word, by his spirit. This is what must characterize the course of the Christian life. So if you think about it, these are very helpful things. Again, as I said before, he begins with diligence, he ends with diligence. These are very helpful things to have parting words about. You beloved saints of Christ and sheep in his fold. Be watchful. Stand firm and stand strong with Christ. With his truth. Grow in that knowledge. So that growth will affect your walk. Grow in your relationship with him. So that, that will also be doing the same. But then notice here that, that Peter ends his letter in doxology. The one who Peter proclaimed is the one he praises. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And we can say amen and amen. To Christ be the glory. To King Jesus be the glory now and forever. And we proclaim this heartily. Right? For what is true of Christ. Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. The Apostle John says, And from Jesus Christ to the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Peter literally says, to him be the glory both now and, interestingly enough, to the day of eternity. 
That is what the Greek word there means. To the day of eternity. Glory belongs to Christ now, which we gladly give, as well as throughout that endless day that will dawn when he returns. And so we can joyfully say that a big theme in this letter is grace and peace being multiplied to us in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And as we grow in that grace and knowledge, our lives are changed more and more as he conforms us to his, himself and as he confirms us to the end. And in the midst of all of the challenges and the trials and the suffering and the pitfalls that we encounter, we are faithfully reminded by Peter over and over again, remember that wonderful work of Peter, to give us reminders faithfully. We are wonderfully and faithfully reminded by Peter to be diligent and obedient, seeking God's gracious work in us, convicting us, drawing us to repentance, opening our eyes more and more to effectively guard against false teaching and false teachers, as well as opening them more and more to see Jesus, to see his person, to see his work and his glorious promises to us. Our God doesn't leave us ignorant and unsteady. He points out the ignorant and unsteady. He points out the false teachers so that we can beware and be aware. But he doesn't leave us ignorant or unsteady. Rather, he gives us a solid staff to lean on, which is Christ and his word. And we are thankful for God's work in and through men and apostles like Peter and Paul. We are thankful for the clear proclamation of the gospel. We are thankful to have the curtain pulled back more and to see God's work now, as well as what is to come on that day. And through this, God causes us to be stable and established and steadfast in the faith. And so there, and therefore, know, beware, and grow is a wonderful end to this epistle. For indeed, as we see more of Jesus and we grow in him, we can't but break out in doxological praise like Peter did. To Christ be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And may that, in all of Peter's words to us in this epistle, fuel our love for him and our diligence in being faithful and obeying him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Pray